Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm All Shook Up uh-huh, edition as I catch up with Nick Shook from NFL.com to discuss the Bengals roster additions, subtractions, and the team's biggest burning question heading into the draft. Then, I'll be joined by my colleague Marissa Contepelli, the Bengals team reporter and host of Bengals Weekly. She's been all over various mock drafts for Bengals.com, so we'll discuss the names that pop up most frequently and take a shot at our own three-round mock draft. Spoiler alert, she gets a better grade than I do. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play, next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since hearing the Who Day chant on opening day at Great American Ballpark. I've got to give credit to the Reds for honoring the Bengals on opening day. Joe Burrow threw out the ceremonial first pitch, to Zach Taylor no less, and Jamar Chase, the NFL's Offensive Rookie of the Year, presented the National League Rookie of the Year Award to Jonathan India. That was cool symmetry. We knew all of that was coming in advance, but I didn't expect Reds fans to unite in a loud Who Day chant before the first pitch. Cincinnati has long been called a baseball town, but let's face it, we are living in a football world. Nothing unites a city like a contending NFL team, and Cincinnati has fallen head over heels in love with the reigning AFC champs. Now, time to get to my first guest, Nick Shook from NFL.com. Nick, you've got a great piece on NFL.com this week called the AFC Roster Reset. You take a look at every team's best additions, key losses, and their burning question heading into the draft. Let's start with the Bengals and their additions. How did Duke Tobin do, in your opinion? Well, I think everybody knew what he needed to do after Super Bowl 56, right? It was it was adjust and improve the offensive line, and then he immediately showed some aggression in doing so. Signing uh, one of the better signings I think he had or anybody had in the NFL this entire offseason, Lael Collins, you know, kind of pouncing on the on the opportunity presented by the Cowboys who moved on from Collins to save some cap space. You know, they also moved to Mari Cooper. They were trying to create cap space and, and Duke Tobin saw that opportunity and took advantage of it and really shored up that right tackle position because, you know, as, as well as anybody that it's a very important position. Number one, number two, it was a position of weakness for the Bengals down the stretch once they didn't have Riley reef anymore. And, and so making sure that that could be solidified provided Collins is available, stays healthy and everything else. That's a massive upgrade for them and, and solves a, a massive question for them. And then, you know, the rest of the signings in the offensive line, um, you know, adding some interior guys that, that was also very key for them because, you know, again, going back to the postseason, you look at that Kansas City game, you had Hakeem Adeniji and, uh, and Jackson Carmen rotating in and out at right guard, depending on the series, depending on who was pass blocking better. Now, they don't have to do that. And more importantly than anything to me, you added depth. You added options. You didn't have to rely on somebody with a lack of experience at a position like Adeniji or a lack of experience overall, like Jackson Carmen. You could go to a veteran who is more reliable and get a performance that you expect. And, and most importantly, protect Joe Burrow and allow this offense to flourish as it should. Collins becomes the right tackle. 
Alex Kappa becomes the right guard. Ted Karras right now is penciled in at center, but obviously he's played guard. He played left guard for the Patriots last year. Jonah Williams is the left tackle. At least on paper right now, left guard is still TBA. Jackson Carmen, you'd love him to, uh, you know, take over and establish himself after being a second round draft pick last year. Do you think the line as is right now is good enough? That's the only question is left guard. I think, I think the other four guys are very solid. I, you know, I was very impressed by their signing of Ted Karras because he was a guy who has played well in new England. And I was surprised that um, it didn't move the needle more when they assigned him out, you know, for me, just looking at the roster. So that's a great signing. That's a, that's a great addition to what they need. So I think the biggest question there is left guard. And, you know, I think Jackson Carmen might've gained a lot of experience from those high pressure situations, playing in games like the AFC championship game, being asked to step up, in a critical moment. And this guy was not a highly tatted recruit, you know, for no reason coming out of, uh, you know, Southwest Ohio, <laughs> this is a reason, you know, he ended up at Clemson for a reason as well. And I think he's going to follow suit and develop into a, a solid guard. I hope so, because, um, you know, spending the pick they spent on him and, and the expectations that come with it. Um, you want him to live up to that. And more importantly than anything, you want him to fill that role that you need filled in the offensive line, because I think the biggest challenge for the Bengals overall, and you would probably agree with this is, Last year was great, but they have to prove the doubters wrong. There are going to be a ton of naysayers who say, oh, that was a fluke. They were a flash in the pan. Everything went right for them. They stayed mostly healthy. And that's fair to say, but the Bengals' biggest objective is to prove them wrong, and getting good quality play out of the left guard would be a, a big boost for them in proving that. And that is your burning question for the Bengals. Can they prove that 2021 was not a fluke? Do you get the sense that a lot of people around the league based on the contacts and the people that you've talked to feel that way, that the Bengals were somewhat of a fluke. Well, I think that they know that the Bengals have a legit quarterback in Joe Burrow. I mean, I saw it in week two of, of 2020 and now the rest of the world has kind of caught up to that. Thanks to the Bengals most recent season. So, you know, if you have the quarterback, you always have a chance. People are going to take you seriously, but I do kind of think that they've gotten a little lost in the, the rush of the offseason, the, the loading up of the AFC West, they're just not in the conversation. If you talk to people and, and, and ask them for you know, your favorites coming out of the AFC, you get the Bills, you get the Chiefs, maybe you get the Broncos, you get you know, one of the AFC South teams, although I think neither are very high. You know, people aren't high on either of them right now, Tennessee and, and Indianapolis. And then the AFC North, we don't really know what you're going to get out of the division other than the Bengals. So I think they get kind of lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I don't think it's necessarily that people don't think that they can be a contender. It's just that they're not, even though they won the AFC last year and they were one touchdown driveway from potentially winning the Super Bowl, they're not held in quite as high of a regard because unfortunately signing offensive linemen is not like the sexiest move. It's not the move that's going to really get people excited when you, when the Chargers are trading for Khalil Mack and the Broncos are trading for Russell Wilson. But that's okay because if you don't have to make those moves, that means you're already in a pretty good spot. And that means that you have a good chance of is continuing sustaining the success that you established last season. Our guest is Nick Shook from NFL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at the Nick Shook. Let's move to the key losses category. The Bengals lost tight end CJ Uzama. Right now, at least, they've lost defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi, although he's still out there. You mentioned Riley Reef. Riley will not be back. It's hard to keep everybody in this day and age in the NFL, but how do the Bengals compare to most in terms of the key losses? Yeah, you're going to have some turnover. It happens with everybody more, you know, with some teams than others. Um, I think the biggest question for me is that defensive interior because, you know, Larry provided the depth, quality depth that you needed. 
Um, I think they'll feel fine if they don't get him back. Uh, but he, I think that's a position that they could also address in the draft as well. So that's probably my biggest question mark. I think they're standing pretty well in terms of who they lost. Uzama, I feel like they can replace him, um, you know, because tight end often is a young quarterback safety valve, but it's also a position that can be elevated by a quarterback's play. We've seen that with other tight ends across the league. So I think they'll be okay there. Um, it's not as if the cupboard is completely bare. And, you, you know, it's, it's difficult to lose Uzama, who really endeared himself to Bengals fans, especially leading up to the Super Bowl, talking about diving into a, a, a pool full of skyline chili. And it's a bummer <laughs> to see him go, but I think they'll be okay there. I think my biggest question mark is the defensive interior. And there's some opportunities in this class to, uh, to resupply there with some of these players in, in this draft. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about where they are roster-wise right now. I think the biggest thing for them is staying healthy. And that's the same case for every team. You know, We can talk about what teams look like on paper all we want right now because that's all we can do. But really, one of the biggest things that has to happen for a team to go deep into the playoffs and repeat success is staying healthy. And that's going to be the biggest challenge. They did sign Hayden Hurst to a one-year deal to potentially do what C.J. Uzama did last year. I kind of think that's potentially a sneaky good move. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I thought he played pretty well in Atlanta. Um, you know, I, I think it's just one of those under the radar signings because he doesn't quite have the name value. It's weird because tight end, especially in free agency between this year and last year was vastly different. You know, last year it was Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry both going to new England and Hunter Henry had a solid season. Johnny Smith didn't do much of anything. So I think moving the needle uh, at the tight end position in free agency doesn't necessarily uh, produce the greatest results. So an under the radar signing could end up, you know, being more successful and more effective for you. And it also patches that hole that's left by the departure of Uzama while also allowing, you know, other players to develop as well. So I think you're right. It is a sneaky, I think it's a sneaky signing. Um, we'll see if it pays off. The Bengals have the 31st overall pick in the draft. Any thoughts on what they should do? There is some potential to add another offensive lineman. I like the tackles in this group. I like some of the guards. It's not quite as deep at guard and in the interior as it is outside at tackle, but there's an opportunity for them, depending on how the first round shakes out, for them to add another player. And I think it's like, you know, we did this on uh, the Inside Report podcast. You can never have enough offensive linemen, much like you can't have enough pitching in baseball. So if they went tackle again, got somebody like a Charles Cross who might still be there, or maybe a little bit further down the list, um, you know, the Penning kid, he might be another option as well if he's still there. I think that there's some value that could be had there. And the fun thing for the Bengals at this point is it's a bit of a luxury to be picking at 31 because you have a roster that's largely intact, uh, didn't have too much turnover, made some nice additions, short up the offensive line. You could go best player available. You could also go need. You could go for potential. And I think potential would be a tackle to develop a, a, a successor at one of the positions or maybe move him into guard, have some options. Uh, and I think they could find that a tackle in the draft. Our guest is Nick Shook from NFL.com. Let's get back to your roster reset, specifically in the AFC North. Your burning question for the Baltimore Ravens is. Can they basically prove that, that their issues with health and everything else last year um, was their biggest problem? Because they have some, they still need to work on their defense. And uh, Eric DaCosta has talked about this. They went and signed Calais Campbell, um, which I thought was you know a smart move. Something that came a little bit later than I expected. They swung and missed. Um, on uh, Zadarius Smith, which I thought was interesting considering his history there and where the franchise is positioned currently. And also there's that lingering doubt about Lamar Jackson and his contract. So they have some questions to answer personnel wise, but more importantly than anything, they need to get a healthier season out of their team. Now, a lot of how they've approached this off season and how Eric DaCosta has spoken and even John Harbaugh to an extent has been, look, we're going to get guys back. It's almost going to be like we're adding key players because we lost so many guys last year. 
And that's great. And that's easy to say right now, but then you got to prove that that's all you really needed. I still think they need to work on their defense a little bit. If you go look at their roster right now, you get a lot of guys um, with who departed and, and not a ton of, um, of the players on the roster coming back that, that, you know, you can look at as key contributors. So there's still some work to be done. Um, but more importantly than anything, it's getting healthy and proving that all they really need to do is be healthy. Let's move to the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, they made a huge splash by obtaining Deshaun Watson. What is your biggest question for Cleveland? Is that risk going to pay off immediately for them? Because, you know, there may be a suspension. It could be four games, could be eight games. We don't know. And that's the biggest question right now is we don't know what the immediate future with Deshaun Watson is. Now, if you take that out of the equation, there are other questions that still have to be answered as well, because Deshaun Watson is not the same quarterback as Baker Mayfield, which makes me think a little bit of a scheme change is going to be coming. Not so much of the wide zone boot action that you saw with, with Baker Mayfield, because Deshaun Watson is not that guy. He's somebody who's more skilled and you don't have to necessarily rely on that necessarily. Um, so uh, how are they going to adjust? How is Kevin Stefanski going to adjust? How is the team going to weather the, the negative the negative, the negativity that comes from, you know, acquiring Deshaun Watson and fully guaranteeing his five-year $230 million contract. We've already seen uh, some owners and other GMs, you know, kind of bash that because, well, you know, you have, you have the issues with Watson off the field, but you also have the precedent that it sets, that it makes these personnel men, their job harder to do, especially with the Ravens and, and DeCosta trying to figure out a, a deal with Lamar Jackson. So, there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of haters for the Browns this year, and they're going to have to fight through that. And they also still need to answer a few questions personnel-wise. They need another receiver, I think. Amari Cooper was a great addition. Donovan Peoples-Jones has shown some promise, but I still kind of need to see him in a bigger role and, and prove it over a full season. Anthony Schwartz is a fast guy. He's a burner, but he needs to become a complete receiver. I think they need to add somebody else. I don't know if that's going to be Jarvis Landry or somebody else. Um, you know, that's a big loss if he does not come back. Got to answer defensive end, Jadavian Clowney. Does he come back? We don't know. And the defensive interior, they lack depth there. So there are some holes that they still need to fill. And they're going to be dealing with a lot of um, a lot of doubt from some other, you know, outside sources. It's, it's going to be a challenge. But if it all pays off, it could pay off dramatically so. And we'll wait to see if that happens. Last but not least, or maybe least, we'll see. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Big Ben is done. Mitchell Trubisky has arrived as the savior, <laughs> or at least the stopgap at quarterback. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, the bridge, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, that's my biggest question. My burning question for them is what's next under center for them? Because, you know, you signed Mitch Trubisky, and it sounds great. Uh, he got a ton of positive uh, momentum for himself in this offseason, despite only throwing eight passes last year just because he was on the Bills roster. Um I, for one, you know, he, he, Mitch is a product of Menor, Ohio. He's a, you know, suburban Cleveland kid. Um, I would like to see him, you know, kind of reclaim his career after it didn't go well in Chicago. But I think that it's, it's a risk. Um, it's a franchise in transition. You have your general manager headed out. He's going to be done after this draft process. You have uncertainty at quarterback. It's either it's Mitch Trubisky or it's Mason Rudolph. Do they take a quarterback in the draft? I tend to think that they do. They were at all the quarterback pro days, but they tend to be at those anyway. So it's not like, you know, we're getting any uh, sneak previews there. Um, they also have to answer, you know, for the departure of Joe Hayden and it's in the departure of Juju Smith-Schuster. Now they went and signed Anthony Miller, which, you know, maybe they can get more of out of him than Chicago and, and Houston could, but it's just a lot of uncertainty. And when you don't have the question answered at quarterback, it makes everything else a little, you know, the, the footing a little less stable. So I don't expect a lot from them. If I had to order the division right now, I got them finishing last. I think it's going to be a tough division again. Uh, it's just that the Steelers have more questions to answer than, than any other team in this division. The AFC roster reset is great. It's a perfect snapshot of where teams stand heading into the draft in a couple of weeks. 
always enjoy what you uh, crank out for NFL.com and appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you so much, Dan. Appreciate it. Love being on. In addition to Nick's AFC roster reset, his colleague Greg Rosenthal published a piece on Friday listing the AFC hierarchy heading into the draft. He has the Bills and Chiefs listed as the top two teams in the conference, with the Bengals listed as one of five teams in the next best tier, a group that also includes Baltimore and Cleveland. Pittsburgh is one of six teams in Tier 3, with the fourth and final tier made up of the Jets, Jaguars, and Texans. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. There used to be just a handful of mock drafts. Now, it seems like there are about 50 published every day, including seven-round mock drafts, which are mostly worthless, but I find myself looking at them anyway. I used to spend a ton of time searching the internet and keeping track of all of the players mocked to the Bengals in round one. But now, I don't have to, thanks to Bengals team reporter Marissa Contapelli. She's been posting regular updates on the various mock drafts for Bengals.com, and we got together this week to discuss that and much more. All right, Marissa, a couple of years ago, we knew exactly who the Bengals were going to take in the first round. It was obviously going to be Joe Burrow. Last year, we had a 50-50 shot. It was going to be Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell. This year, since they have the 31st overall pick, we really don't know. I mean, you've been doing a deep dive into all these mock drafts, and there are a lot of different names that we've seen. I thought it would be fun to take advantage of your research and take a look at some of the most common names that keep coming up on these mock drafts. Now, you've posted five of these to Bengals.com. Have the names changed much during the course of the time you've been doing this? You know, Dan, that's been one of my favorite parts of doing this is seeing the the volume of names that I've been able to come across through so many of these draft gurus and experts putting out their mock drafts. There has been a lot of change. You look at the first couple of weeks, and it was really offensive line heavy. Then we signed the three offensive linemen, then all of a sudden they shifted to the defensive side. But there have been a few consistent names. The one name that has been on every single mock draft to this point has been center Tyler Linderbaum out of Iowa. Even though we have Ted Karras, uh, Lael Collins, and um, Alex Kappa, they still think um, a lot of draft experts still expect us to go with the best available center in this uh, year's draft class. Uh, Just a guy that you can't really pass up on and you're looking more towards the future. So Tyler Linderbaum has been one of those mainstay names and if he's there Dan I mean how how do you pass up on a talent like that if he's there is always the big question mark Um, but a couple of their names that have been really consistent have been um, on the cornerback side you have Kyler Gordon out of Washington Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson and Kair Elam out of Florida those three have been on not necessarily every single mock draft up to this point but at least uh, three or four out of them so um, a lot of experts you know while they lean towards the um, offensive side of the ball uh, over the last few weeks there have been more and more defensive names have had a couple of edge rushers thrown in there but a lot of cornerbacks um, especially as that is a a position of need that the draft experts are saying the Bengals uh, should target early on in this draft. All right, so let's get back to Tyler Linderbaum. I'm kind of obsessed with Tyler Linderbaum, I'll admit it. Uh, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, who does this incredible draft guide every year, The Beast, 
has the Bengals selecting him, 31st overall. Todd McShay, famously of ESPN, has the Bengals selecting Tyler Linderbaum, 31st overall. In a lot of ways, he makes sense because Ted Karras, who right now is penciled in as the center, can move over and play left guard. He played left guard last year for the Patriots, so that would not be a big deal. But there are some red flags with Linderbaum. He's got short arms, 31 and 7 eighth inch arms. Teams like 33. He's less than 32. He's not a huge guy. Kind of the comp for him, though, is a familiar name for a lot of people around here. Jason Kelsey from the Philadelphia Eagles, who went to UC. Tremendous range, ability to like get to the second level and block linebackers. So, like I said, I'm kind of obsessed with Tyler Linderbaum. But as you pointed out, I don't know if he's going to be there. When you look at these big boards... He's typically more like in the 14th or 15th best overall player in the draft as opposed to the 31st. Because he's a center and teams only need one starting center, maybe that allows him to slide down to 31, but I don't know. In my gut, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm with you, Dan. I don't think he's going to be there. Um, I've been a little surprised that he has been in every single mock draft for that reason. Uh, You look at other teams, and a lot of other teams do need a center. Um, And so I just think with... His upside, I mean, I know you did call, uh, call out a couple of the red flags, which are absolutely valid. Um, I don't – I would be surprised if he was still on the board at 31. I just – I think a player – or, I've, excuse me, I think a team is going to take a chance on him um, ahead of us choosing 31. And I think it's going to be Baltimore. <laughs> that makes me feel even worse. But they lost their center in free agency. Mm-hmm. I just – I have this strange hunch that the Ravens are going to foil my hopes for getting Tyler Linderbaum. But if he's there, the Bengals have a history of taking centers. Their first ever draft pick, obviously, was Bob Johnson. He was a center. They drafted Blair Bush, Dave Remington, Billy Price, all his first-round centers. Billy, unfortunately, didn't work out that well. But uh, who knows? Maybe he will become the fifth center selected in the first round. Now, you mentioned some of the cornerbacks that have been coming up. I think this is the positional need that makes the most sense. They obviously have their top three back. But Eli Apple... Only signed a one-year deal to come back. Who knows if he'll sign another extension if he has another good year. But in any case, you'd like to get a young, talented cornerback into the pipeline. And there should be a good one there at 31. There really should. Um, you know, you look at the the names that have been kind of thrown around in the first and second round when it comes to cornerback, and there's a lot of talent and, and you know, a decent amount of depth to that position. Um, I would fully, you know, anticipate the Bengals looking to target that early in the draft. And in just some of the names that we've uh, that I shared earlier, I mean, Kyler Gordon is kind of the one that sticks out to me. He's been the name um, I've seen most often on mock drafts from um, a handful of different experts. Uh, a lot of people feel feel like he will just be a good fit when you have Chidobe Awuzie and Mike Hilton um, and just kind of shaping out the rest of that cornerback's room and that while he might be a little on the raw side, they have the time to develop him because of Eli Apple being on a one-year deal. And so you're not putting Kyler Gordon into an immediate starting position. You can develop him a little bit, work him in um, because you have that flexibility with Eli Apple, um, you know, still here for at least one more season. Um, you know, Andrew Booth is uh, another one that, you know, is really intriguing to me. Um, you know, he's been dealing with some injuries, didn't work out at the combine, didn't work out at the pro day due to different core um, uh, injuries and hamstring injuries. But, you know, I mean, I, you kind of like what you've seen, what he did on tape at Clemson. Um, and he's just a guy that I think, uh, if healthy, would come in and be able to, to fill that slot right away. And then, I mean, 
Kyrie Lamb, um, you know, the tape you see of him, at, you know, Florida, uh, being in, uh, you know, just that conference down there. I mean, just five interceptions, 20 passes defended during his time there. He's just, just screams athleticism when you watch him on tape, Dan. That's who Mel Kuyper has the Bengals selecting, and he actually had the Bengals trading down into early in the second round and still being able to get him. You mentioned Kyler Gordon. His name does come up a lot. Lance Zerline, who's another uh, prominent draft guru. I had him on my podcast a few weeks ago. That's who he has the Bengals selecting uh, with the 31st overall pick. One thing about Kyler Gordon that kind of makes sense, he's got a lot of special teams experience at Washington. And as you mentioned, he probably wouldn't start from day one for Cincinnati, so you'd want him to contribute on special teams. Uh, I do think that that would make some sense. It is about time for the Bengals select to, to select a cornerback in the first round. They had this history where they did it every other year. Will Jackson, 2016. Darquez Denard, 2014. Drake Kirkpatrick, 2012. Uh, Leon Hall and Jonathan Joseph, 2007-2006. So they had five cornerbacks taken in the first round in a 10-year period. They haven't done it in the last five years. I do think history often points in the right direction when we're trying to evaluate what the Bengals are going to do. So I think there's a very strong possibility if one of those guys that you mentioned is there at 31, that's the way they go. I agree with you. Um, and especially you look at the last couple of years and it's been the Bengals really trying to retool the offensive side of the ball. And so it makes sense. You're going to take a Joe Burrow. You're going to take a Jamar Chase. Uh, and so I think this is the year where they've done, they've done a lot on the defensive side over the last two years, but they're not quite done, Dan. They need a couple extra pieces on that side of the ball, and I think it makes the world of sense um, if one of those strong uh, cornerbacks are there at 31 to go ahead and take them. We're visiting with Marissa Contapelli. We're talking about the Bengals draft. Uh, Marissa has been posting mock drafts on a regular basis on Bengals.com. Now, early in the mock drafts, as you mentioned, a lot of people were pointing toward offensive linemen. Guards kept coming up early on. Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. Zion Johnson from Boston College. I don't know if either of those guys is going to be there, but when we talked about Tyler Linderbaum and the possibility of Ted Karras moving from center to guard, if you take a guard, you don't have to do that. You would plug that person into the mix mm -hmm. with Jackson Carmen and others. Uh, to be the next starting left guard and complete the, the total transformation of the Bengals' offensive line. You're absolutely right, and that's certainly an area they can still look to go at at 31 if one of those guys is on the board. I mean, I can't help but love the thought of having – an additional couple of young, talented offensive linemen in the hands of Frank Pollock and let him help develop them, help get them to where the Bengals are going to need them in a year or two years from now. I'm not saying these guys have to come in and start day one because what the Bengals were able to do in free agency this year have given them that flexibility to, to have some of those veteran guys on the offensive line, but also able to take, a, take one or two in the early stages of the draft if they want to and to be able to help develop and really shape up this offensive line to, to really excel here in the next few years, Dan. Let me give you a couple other names that I've seen on mock drafts that you've posted and others have posted. Logan Hall, who's a defensive lineman from Houston. I saw him play face-to-face uh, -face, uh, when the Bearcats <laughs> took on the Cougars. Uh, our colleague, Jeff Butch Hobson, in his first media mock draft, selected Arnold Ebakati, an edge rusher from Penn State. Mm -hmm. So that is another position group that makes some sense. You can't have enough edge rushers, or in Logan Hall's case, he's a guy that's played inside in college, and some people think he could play inside or outside in the NFL. Right, absolutely, and especially with what the Bengals are trying to do in the AFC North, 
give us all the edge rushers you can, Dan. I mean, you cannot have enough of them. But that's been an interesting trend to follow, too, as I've been doing these mock drafts where the first couple, as I had mentioned, really didn't have any defensive players. And then the Bengals made a couple of moves, and then all of a sudden you see some extra edge rushers coming on and a couple of defensive, uh, interior defensive guys making the list. Um, but the ones that you mentioned have been the, the few that have been kind of a mainstay over the last two. Uh, so it will be interesting. Um, you know, I will say I have not seen um, who Jeff selected on any of the mock drafts yet, but Jeff might know something um, that, that everyone else doesn't know, per usual. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, we're going to have a couple of mock drafts continuing to come out up until the draft. We'll have one next week and then one the week of the draft. And that's the one I'm sure everyone's going to be the most interested in to see what the experts are thinking, you know, those final few days before the Bengals will be on the clock. Trust me, people are always fascinated with Dave Lapham's final first-round prediction for the Bengals. He has often uh, had it right on the nose, even, even when some of the experts have been off. I asked you to do a three-round mock simulator draft. I became obsessed with these mock simulators about a year ago, where you can go online. Pro Football Focus has a good one. Pro Football uh, Network has a good one, where basically you find out what guys are gone uh, when the Bengals are on the clock, and it makes it much more challenging. So I did a three-round PFF mock simulator draft. I asked you to do the same. Let's compare notes and see who we wound up with. So with the 31st pick in the 2022 NFL draft, Marissa Contapelli, representing the Cincinnati Bengals, selects... I traded down. (laughs) So I traded with Houston um, for pick 37 in the second round and also pick 80 in the third round. I figured uh, targeting Houston, a quarterback needy team, there were still a few quarterbacks on the board at that point. So the mock draft simulator accepted the trade. And then at 37, Kyler Gordon was still on the board. So I jumped at that opportunity and took the uh, cornerback out of Washington. I'm firing Duke Tobin and plugging you right into the role. Now, I didn't trade down. Had I seen that offer, I might have jumped at it. That's a great move. Uh, Only going down to 37 and still getting Kyler Gordon, who I might have wanted at 31. When I got to 31, Tyler Linderbaum was gone. A lot of the guys that I wanted the most were gone. I wound up selecting Kenyon Green, guard from Texas A&M. I think I got like a C from Pro Football Focus for my pick. But Dane Brugler has him ranked as the 27th best player in this draft. 6'3", 323 pounds, 34 and an 8-inch arms. 35 starts at Texas A&M. He started at left guard, right guard, left tackle, right tackle at various points in his career. So he becomes the most likely candidate to start at left guard for the Bengals next year. I have wound up with Kenyon Green. We move on to round two. I'll go first this time. I wound up selecting a defensive tackle out of Oklahoma named Perion Winfrey. When I was at the uh, NFL scouting combine, I asked people there, all right, give me some defensive tackles you like at 31 overall. And his name came up a few times. So the fact that he was still available late in the second round uh, made me jump for Perion Winfrey uh, with the loss of Larry Ogunjobi in the defensive tackle rotation. The Bengals would love to get a new uh, talented young guy in there. So Perion Winfrey was my second round pick. 
I like it, Dan. We both had the mindset of defensive line for this pick because I ended up selecting uh, defensive end Kingsley Inagbari out of South Carolina. And Pro Football Focus kind of liked my picks. They gave me an A minus for the grade, so I'll, you know I'll take that. But uh, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a ton of his tape, um, but just you know what I've seen and, and what I've heard about him, he just has a lot of upside. Uh, can, Filling nicely into that rotation, assuming we have Joseph Osai back and healthy this year, uh, you know I just think this is another young, you know, young potential talented um, guy who can you know come in, help us uh, get around the edge and help disrupt the quarterback and just um, you know yeah another guy just love to see kind of how the Bengals would be able to develop him over the next couple of years. All right, we move on to round three. You got an extra pick from your savvy <laughs> trade down in the first round. I'm jealous. But who do you have the Bengals selecting in round three? Yeah, so this is where I finally go offensive line. So decided to take guard Dylan Parham out of Memphis. And just, you know, another one of those opportunities where, you know, you're not expecting him to come in and start day one because of the, the way that the Bengals handled free agency this year. And, um, you know, assuming the development of Jackson Carmen as well. But, you know, I, I liked his um, his stat uh potential and just what what the draft experts are saying about him is just you know he's a guy that again you know get Frank Pollock around working with him and let's see what happens Mm -hmm. and you got another offensive lineman in the third round I did decided to take a take a chance on uh, Kellen Deesh from uh, Arizona State I hope I'm pronouncing his last name correctly uh, a tackle there and so with the uh, yeah, taking the two offensive linemen there in the third round, uh, Pro Football Focus, you know, gave me an A minus and a B plus. So I'm going to take that as you know, a decently positive sign right now, Dan, because this is my first ever uh, mock draft simulator mm-hmm. that I've done that we were talking about before. So um, yeah, just figured why not give Frank Pollock a couple of offensive linemen. You know, I, I think the Bengals are going to address it at some point in this draft. Um, you know, and hopefully, you know, they're able to hit on on one, two, three, however many they, they end up taking. You get an overall B-plus grade from PFF for your first-ever simulated mock draft. Pretty impressive, and trust me, you will now be obsessed with doing these. Uh, you'll be doing one about every third day. My third-round pick was from UC. Safety, Brian Cook. I think uh, that Dane Brugler also selected uh, Brian Cook to the Bengals in the third round. Here's why. Obviously, I saw him play. I know a lot about him. Good kid. I think he's going to be a good NFL player. He would become Von Bell's replacement. He's more of a close-to-the-line-of-scrimmage safety than a center fielder type like Jesse Bates. But uh, here's the, the biggest reason why I wound up taking Brian Cook. When I'm on the road with UC during the course of the season, frequently before the games, NFL scouts will pop into the broadcast booth just to ask some questions about the UC players. Uh, more from my broadcast partner, Jim Kelly Jr., than me. But this past year, with all these great UC players, Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, MyJ Sanders, etc., the guy we got asked the most about was Brian Cook because he kind of came out of nowhere, uh, transferred from a much smaller school. He's from the Cincinnati area. He went to Mount Healthy High School, but really blossomed at the end of his junior year and then his senior year. So based on the interest around the league from NFL scouts, at least informally, uh, in our broadcast booth on the road. I think that Brian Cook is going to be a, a top three or, or four-round draft pick, and I would love to see him plugged into the Bengals secondary going forward. You know, Dan, I remember now that I'm going back to this, I'm pretty sure he was available in the second or in the third round, excuse me, and I didn't take him. And now after hearing everything you said about Brian Cook, I'm, I'm kind of kicking myself like, man, maybe I should have maybe I should have taken the UC kid. Well, you got a B plus and I got a C plus, so <laughs> I, I'm not so sure. But the extra draft pick, that was your savvy maneuver. 
So I, I want to go back to the first week of free agency because during the course of the season, I'm in the Bengals' offices basically every day, but I'm not during the offseason, and you are. What was the buzz like in the building? Alex Kappa right away, Ted Karras shortly after that, Hayden Hurst near the end of the week, Lyle Collins at the end of the week. What was it like being here at Paul Brown Stadium while that was going on? It was fun. <laughs> it's one of those things where you're sitting at your desk and it's, you know, you're waiting for the text, uh, the phone call, the email, however it is that um, you know, the bosses upstairs are, are going to relay the information to you that like, okay, we're, we're getting this guy. And it's just, it's a lot of sitting and waiting, but as soon as you get that notification, it's like, okay, we're going into go mode. Uh, they're going to be here down in the conference room in 10 minutes to make sure we get all the ca- uh, content capture as they're signing their contracts. And then getting to do the walk and talk tours with them. And then eventually they meet with media. And so it's just, it's an absolutely thrilling day. And uh, kind of a funny story when uh, we were um, signing Lyle Collins on, it was that Sunday. So as all of Bengaldom knows, um, he was in Cincinnati for a few days uh, (laughs) leading up to it. So you hear rumors and you're wondering, okay, maybe it's going to be this day. Wednesday comes and goes, Thursday comes and goes. And you're moving into the weekend and it's like, all right, maybe, maybe there's still a possibility. And so I was out um, on that Sunday. It was I went to Ohio State, and so Ohio State was playing um, against Villanova. And, you know, I was out with some friends watching the game when second half, um, get the phone call saying, hey, we need you at Paul Brown Stadium uh, as soon as you can get there. And I was like, all right, I think I might have a hunch as to what this is about. So uh, basically, um, you know, handed my friends some cash saying, hey, can you, uh, you know, close out my check? And was able to get here. And it was just absolutely phenomenal getting to uh, meet Lael on that first day. And, um, you know, I think it's made its rounds. But him saying, you know, being the bodyguard for Joe Burrow is just, you know, one of those moments I don't think I'm ever going to forget when it comes to Lael and just kind of his demeanor and just what he's going to bring to this team. And so that was one of those moments where um, I'm glad I lived pretty close to the stadium. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I was uh, within close proximity because um, everything just ended up happening so fast on that day, Dan. But, you know, as I know you got the chance to meet some of these guys too, it's just, it's a different type of energy it feels with this uh free agent class um you know they all are just really eager to get to work and uh, another thing that I really enjoyed us getting to do with them was we had the Cincinnati chili tasting experience and so they each had uh Cincinnati chili for the first time and just you know getting to know them on a little bit more of a personal level and just uh you know seeing their reaction um, to, to trying Cincinnati chili, which was all really positive. So, hey, we're already off to a good start mm-hmm. on that. But, but it, it was just, it was a great week, um, a week that always goes by a little too fast. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do a viral video type thing with uh, professional athletes testing Cincinnati-style chili, getting offensive linemen oh, yes. is probably a good way to go. <laughs> it absolutely is. And uh, I believe it was uh, Ted Karras uh, had made the comment that um, – you know, this is going to help make sure he keeps his weight up in season. So who knows? You could see him um, running around with conies or three ways, five ways uh, pretty often around Paul Ron Stadium. It was a long season, and that's a good thing. The Bengals basically played for an extra month um, as they made their way to the Super Bowl. Has that changed the off season around here? Were, I mean, was the downtime any different? Did, did everything just get compressed because of that? It certainly felt like it. Uh, there was not a lot of downtime, um, especially you know coming off of the longest NFL season uh, to date. And so we had the combine coming up pretty shortly after. And I know just from us, from a content standpoint, uh, we had a few days 
post-Super Bowl where we had a little bit of time to kind of, you know, digest. Uh, we had a lot of footage we had to get logged, so just a lot of, you know, there's those little uh, kind of minutiae kind of things that you had to get settled. And then uh, once the combine rolled around, it's combine free agency, and now, you know, we're getting ready for drafts. So it's it really hasn't felt like there's been much, if any, downtime, Dan. Um, you know, I can't really speak for everyone else in the building, but from what I've seen, even, you know, just the coaches have been here, um, you know, almost every day. I know they've had a little bit of time, too, and, and Zach's done, you know, a phenomenal job of making sure, you know, they've also gotten – they're resting because you can't have burnout, um, especially coming off of that long season. And so, you know, I think it was a, a wise decision for the team to kind of push back when players return, wait till after the draft. So this way the coaching staff can really focus on this year's draft class because we know how heavily involved they are in, um, in that process. I used to like to uh, sneak by the draft room years ago when all the names were posted up on the board. Sorry, Duke. Uh, but you can't do that anymore. Now it's all computerized, obviously. I mean, in this day and age, what isn't? Uh, but do you pick up any nuggets from scouts, from Duke, during the, this process just as they have their meetings and uh, evaluate who stacks up where on the board? I mean, you try to, you try to do it. And you know what, I, I would love to say I, there's probably no one better at doing that than Jeff Hobson. Um, He's sneaky. He, he really is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I got to learn, I got to learn better from Jeff, you know, find, find out what, uh, what his ways are. But, um, but no, you absolutely try to. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where it, it helps us internally to have an idea as to a handful of names. And obviously this year at picking 31st is is new for me and so it's a little different because the the list of names is a lot longer than when you're picking fifth or even you know, my first year when we were um 21st and so um you know it's it's helpful because it helps us get prepared and you know as, as we're gathering um different um content strategies and you know really trying to best prepare our content team for draft night because we absolutely as soon as we make that pick we want to make sure we have highlights out we have the information out and and um inform our fans as soon as we can as to who this newest Bengal is this last year was awesome broadcasting the super bowl was the highlight of my professional career i think i've been doing this longer than you've been alive so i'm a lot older than you uh, but what was the last year like for you um generating some great content for the Bengals TV show. Uh, the Behind the Stripes videos were awesome on that show and on the website. What was the Super Bowl run like for you? It was thrilling. It was absolutely a dream come true. I mean, I think as a, you know, as a broadcaster and media member, it's, it's probably on everyone's bucket list, I would assume so, to, to be able to go to a Super Bowl, to cover a Super Bowl. And, and it was one where it's, it's always been high on my list, but you always have to wonder, like, will it ever come true? And, and for it to come true and for it to happen in just my fourth season with the team, I, it just, I had to keep pinching myself at times, Dan, when we were uh, there in Los Angeles being like, wait, no, this actually is really happening. This, we are here at the Super Bowl. And so it was just, you know, one of those surreal moments, um, ex you know, especially seeing all the Bengal signage around SoFi Stadium that day. It was it's something we're never going to forget. It, it was just absolutely phenomenal. And so it, the playoff run um, at times felt a little bit of a blur because of how much 
content we were producing, how much how much footage. I mean, my goodness, not only do we have shooters at these games, but then we have footage coming in from NFL films and with every round of the playoffs, there are more cameras at these games, Dan. So I, you know, I feel like um, we are logging footage. I feel like we still have footage to log, mm-hmm. quite honestly. But, you know, Dan, it's, it's hard to put into words sometimes just what this season truly was because we were all hopeful. We were, all had those high expectations, but this team exceeded those. Uh, they truly did. And so as we were going along the course of the season and um, just, you know, from the different social videos we were producing and, you know, producing Bengals Weekly, it was just something truly so truly special and it just I'm not absolutely not going to take any of it for granted because we got to share and tell so many stories um, from this season we just had so many incredible not only incredible personalities on and off the field but you know you look at guys like getting to tell Chidabe Awuzie's story and Mike Hilton I mean that just the way he's persevered and pushed through his career and I mean, those were two huge additions that helped lead this team to, to get to where they were. And so, you know, for me personally, um, I was able to work on a couple of stories this year that, you know, really, really meant a lot. And, you know, I was able to produce a Joe Burrow's um, first comeback story before he took his first snap um, week one. And then uh, the one I was, you know, really proud to, to be able to produce was the Zach Taylor bit after, um, you know, in in the postseason before going into our our first playoff game where you're getting to talk to a lot of these leaders on this team and just seeing the respect that they Mm -hmm. have for Zach and what he has meant to this organization is just, uh, it it blows you away. And so, you know, getting to put that together and, you know, even just seeing how the fans reacted to that piece and just everyone getting behind Zach, you know, it just added to a, a truly special season. That was a great story. People can still watch it on Bengals.com. If they haven't already, just go to the video section, look up the uh, Behind the Stripes stories, and you'll find that great story about Zach and, and his growth in three years as the Bengals head coach. You're right about just how hard it is to articulate how special it was to be involved uh, with a team going to the Super Bowl. People have asked me a lot about it afterward. You know, what was it like to broadcast the Super Bowl? And initially, I really kind of struggled to put it into words, it was so special and mind-boggling. And then I finally came up with an analogy that I think kind of works. I compare it to the movie Jurassic Park. The first time that the characters see dinosaurs and like their eyes are huge and their mouths are wide open and there's that, oh my gosh, dinosaurs, dinosaurs exist. And that's what it was like for me. It was just like, oh my gosh. We're here. Our team is playing in the Super Bowl. I get a chance to broadcast it. And, uh, you know, I honestly think we'll, we'll have that opportunity again in the Joe Burrow era. I don't think you're wrong. I'm right there with you. It's You look at the amount of talent that's on this team, Dan, and, and how can you not see them getting back? And they're only getting better. And mm-hmm. when you have the Joe Burrow effect uh, of free agents really wanting to come in here, and we saw that this last year, I mean, how they were able to land – three stud offensive linemen, uh, it it really makes you wonder. I know the AFC is going to be a gauntlet this year. Um, It's absolutely loaded, but how can that not play as to a benefit to this team where you think if you can make it out of the AFC, you have a really great shot at winning that Super Bowl? If. That's the key word, if. It is going to be a gauntlet. Uh, Let's look ahead to something that's coming up in the next month. You're going to be involved in a a Sam Hubbard event. Sam obviously does a lot of great stuff in the community, and we're about a month away from an event that uh, you're going to help with. 
That's right. So Sam is having a fulling uh, charity event um, in, in uh, collaboration with his uh, foundation, the Sam Hubbard Foundation. And it's just an event. As soon as I saw it, my friend and I were like, we absolutely have to sign up to participate. Uh, I have no idea how great we're actually going to be when it comes to the <laughs> tournament. Um, I've gone fulling before. For those of you who have not gone fulling or know what fulling is, it's where you have almost like a cornhole-style boards um, and then you have 10 bowling pins on those boards, and you're taking a football, throwing it at the boards, and trying to knock down the pins before the other team does. So it's a wild concept. It's a lot of fun. It's very difficult, I will say, much tougher than it just kind of sounds right off the bat. And so uh, I've always taken the strategy of throwing overhand. I have seen some people throw underhand, which is uh, kind of impressive, but also kind of like all right, we're, we're going to try this out. But, um, but no, it should, it should be a great time. I mean, anything to be able to support uh, Sam. He's doing so much in this community and, you know, really getting his foundation up and running in this last year. And so uh, the funds that they're going to raise uh, during that event are going to go to a lot of the other um, initiatives and outreach that they're going to be doing in the Cincinnati community this year. And so I know signups are already full. Um, they've already um, exceeded the capacity of teams that they can have at the event which they actually sold out of that really really quickly but you can still attend as a spectator I believe and um, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some current and former players there as well and so you know it's just I know I always love supporting our our guys whenever they're doing anything in the community because it means so much to the not only this area but you know even when they go back to their hometowns and and other areas throughout the country but uh, especially with Sam, you know, being our Walter Payton Man of the Year last year and, you know, really wanting to take um, those extra next steps and do um, even more in this community. This was just something when I saw Dan, you know, I knew I absolutely had to jump at. So foaling is football plus bowling. You described it well. There is a bar at the foaling warehouse. So as you go as a spectator, you can have a, a frosty beverage and watch Marissa's technique for trying to knock down bowling pins with a football. I've only done it once. I found that the high toss that like comes down like a, like a bomb dropping as opposed to the line drive like a quarterback would try to throw, you know, between coverage worked better for me. So if you want to go with high arc, you might find that that's a successful foaling strategy. I appreciate um, that advice because I feel like I've tried a couple different ways and it, it's hit or miss. Um, so I play softball, so I feel like I usually try to go with more of that line drive approach, but I might have to change it up to to see if something else might work a little better. It's, it's been a little while since I've gone foaling, so I might need to even try to sneak into practice before the event rolls around. All right, well, congratulations on the B-plus grade on your first-ever Mock Simulator three-round draft. You uh, outdrafted me. You're 1-0 against Dan Horde. Uh, and I appreciate your time. Keep up the great work. Uh, it's been fun not having to scour the Internet for mock drafts. I just can go to your, your mock draft compilations, and it saves me a lot of time, and I do enjoy doing it. So thanks again. As always, thank you so much, Dan. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play, next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.